Koitearapuru Sounds E ngā reo, e ngā mana, rauranga tira mā tēnā koutou katoa. You're listening to He Reo Tahito, a podcast for Sound Centre for New Zealand Music, Toi Te Arapuoru, ko Crystal Edwards Ahau. It's been a great honour to speak with some of the leading experts on Motetea in Aotearoa. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Te Ahukaramu Charles Rural, Noreira Areare Taringa Mai. Charles Royal. My Māori name is Te Ahukaramu. Belong to Marutuahu Hauraki, Ngāti Raukua e Ngāpohi. Uh, my primary papakaiang is a place called Waimango, where my whānau is from, and our iwi there is Ngāti Whanaunga, and part of Hauraki, yeah. What is Mōtetia to Charles? Well, a number of thoughts about Mōtetia. I mean, Mōtetia is, you know, one of the great literary musical traditions of this country and shamelessly overlooked, undervalued. Uh, the great richness of Mōtete has yet to be really understood by the nation. Uh, I think people know a lot more, than, you know, mainstream know more about things like, uh, you know, Janet Frame and Catherine Mansfield and, and people like that. And yet the uh, the whole world of Mōtete awaits discovery really by, really by New Zealand. Not even Māori really know Mōtete. There's some Māori who do, of course, and know very, very well. But there are lots of Māori who don't really know Mōtete and don't really know what, what, what its depth and beauty and sophistication actually is. And um, I, was, I caught the Mōtete bug in, early in my journey uh, of learning the reo and learning whakapapa and all that kind of thing. Um, because I'm a musician, first and foremost, and so music, um, I naturally gravitated towards uh, Mōtete in my learning of uh, the reo and tikanga and all that kind of stuff and was fortunate when I started out um, there was a handful of elders who were still alive in my iwi who were trained in the in, in the so-called traditional manner of mōtia to le- learning in their own amongst their own whānau and from you know gifted teachers of the past and so I was fortunate to be with a group of uh, a group of kaumātua who were still they didn't learn out of books and, you know, they didn't learn from tapes like we have to do today. Yes, yes, you know, that they, um, they grew, um, one in particular, one elder in particular um, that I was taught by, he was taught by his great-grandmother who was the composer of one of the most important party of our iwi. Uh, this, this woman's name was called Monomono and uh, she was a sister to Te Whatanui, the big chief of Ngāti Raukua. And uh, her great-grandson, a man called Tukawa Kaikereama, taught us as we were the rangatahi at Tawanoroko at the time and he and he was taught by her the original composer so um, we were fortunate to have you know to have had an experience with uh, people for whom Mōtetea was you know just lived and breathed it every day and it was their kind of frame of reference and how they understood the world and so on so I mean there's lots of lots of things to say about it but Mōtetea is this incredibly rich musical literary tradition that we have in Aotearoa that's in our iwi hapu communities it it is the it expresses the great passion of life all the all the great events of life are commemorated and communicated in mōtetea of one kind or another you know love stories conflict stories the arrival of new children the death of loved ones the all the great passions of what it is to be a human being can be found inside Mōtetea. And also, and, and that's the first thing. The second thing is extraordinarily beautiful ways of talking about and interpreting those experiences of, of, of human life can be found in Mōtetea. Mm. Um, you know, naturally through the, the vernacular of an indigenous culture where we, where we um, express human feeling, human experience through, through relationship with natural world environments. You know, we're constantly looking to the tohu of the natural world, the signs of the natural world, to speak to 
some internal experience in our wairua and our spirit and so on. Mm. Motete is just absolutely awash with all of that, mm. that kind of idea. So yeah, the great passion of the Māori world, commemorating the events, communicating the events of life in a, a beautiful indigenous way. Mm. That's such a beautiful way to express mm. what uh, Mōtete is. And, and just towards the end of your kōrero there, you did slightly touch on why, you know, why they were um, composed, you know, to yeah. um, recite whakapapa, to um, lament uh, a sad occasion and that. Could you mm. just elaborate a little sure. bit more around why they were composed? Yeah. Why? Well, not all Mōtete are the same. It's important. We use this word Mōtete because Apirangata um, used it for his books. And we tend to look at the entire body of song and label it Mōtete because Apirana did. But actually, if you look, if you go into Mōtete, you see that they're actually composed for many different kinds of purposes. They're not just all the same kind of thing. So Apatere, for example, is a, a reply to slander in song. And it's composed by woman. It's a woman's form. It's not a man's form. It's a woman's form. And it's composed by woman, usually responding to the slanderous talk of another woman. Right, we have a, again in Ngāti Rauko, we've probably the most famous uh, part today is called Poya Tataku Poi. And that is, you know, that's a reply by Eden Rotarato to the slander of another woman. that other woman she composes her song right and so so that that's so that's a very very different kind of song to uh sings around the theme of woman composers another another form that i think is a woman's form is waiata wabata these are these are songs of unrequited love these are songs where a woman has fallen in love with another man or perhaps another woman perhaps on another occasion but anyway fallen in love with somebody else but is unable to have a relationship with them uh, for political reasons for all sorts of things so there are different reasons why these songs were composed they were you know they were composed to express anger like the party uh, composed to express enormous frustration because i can't be with that person i love over there um and all the way through to the kind of functional things like you know teaching whakapapa and all that you know commemorating the events of a people other songs were um there's another waiata I know, which is called a takuwate, and that is a that is a, a a song of mourning, but within it is a call to action, meaning uh, meaning what the song does is, is this particular person has passed away, and I'm going to I'm singing my song to this other person, appealing to that person to go and get utu for the death of the first one. And it's what's called a, a takuwate, and also called a tifa at times as well. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're composed for all sorts of different reasons to capture the, the thinking, the ideas, the experiences going on at that particular point in time. Mm. Oh, absolutely fantastic. And I must say, thank you for mentioning. I've never, ever actually heard of a takuate with the tifa. So mm. it's fantastic. To, and like it's got a call uh, to action within Within it. Within it. Takuate means to mourn. But it also contains, well, in this example at least, it contains what is called a tifa. A tifa is a message contained within something. So uh, they're also sometimes called a kōpaki. And a kōpaki can be something like, in a slightly different context, the kōpaki can be like a meriponamu, where you present a meriponamu to another people, but inside the meriponamu represents a message of a kind, and that's what's called a kōpaki. In the form of song, it's called a tifa. Yeah, where a message is in it, and I'm asking, challenging you, asking you to do something for me. So an example of that takuwate, the, the guy's name, the person I'm thinking about, the tupa I'm thinking, his man is, is called Matangi Hauroa, and he's appealing to Te Whatanui of, of Ngāti Rauko again. And I could see that he, he's not just standing up to sing, I'm mourning the death of a loved one. He's not, he's actually communicating a message to Te Whatanui himself, the big rangatira of Rauko, to himself, to say, I need your help to get utu for this person, or I want you to get utu for the death of this person. You know. 
Tēnākoe. You have uh, mentioned about like the takuate and tifa. What's your whakaar on the other genres like, you know, ori ori, apakura, mm. uh, you know, there's all those um, mm. ngeri and then mm. your whakaar or, uh, around those genres? Well, many different kinds, of course. It's so, um, well, ori ori, of course, are the, we kind of call them lullabies, but it, um, it kind of trivialises a little bit what, what, what an ori ori actually is. An ori ori is a sacred song, usually sung by a mother to a child, not always composed by their mother, mm. but usually sung by the, the mother to a child, by which they're imparting very, very significant type of information about that child's identity. Mm. And uh, of course it remains with that child for for their life and so on, and becomes a statement about the, the, the tapu and the mana of that child. And of course it becomes, I mean, because all of the people who descend from that child, it becomes a statement of their own tapu. Of their mana, of the descendants of that person, right? That you come, you know, when we say hetapu koe na na mea, you are what we're saying is that you are a sacred person, and your sense of sacredness, your sense of mana, and that comes from that particular ancestor. You know, hetapu koe na na porodangi, hetapu koe na kahununu, hetapu koe na something like that. You know, so a uh, an ori ori is a is really a sacred song, a sacred song imparting quite sacred and important information to a child about his or her identity. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and of course it's just so full of love too, of course, because it's from the mother to the child, and it's just absolutely kikiani dauroha, and they're just full of the love of the mother for the child. It's not always the mother, but it's often the mother, <laughs> you know, about 90% of the time, right, right? I was you know? To say yeah, yeah. Of yeah. It's, it's actually of, of recent days where men have kind of taken up the mantle now to compose um, our new type of uh, motete and um, ngiri and pātere these days. But um, yes, you know, across our histories, yes, a lot of our composers were our wahine. Oh, absolutely, men and women. Mm. Men and women. And there were certain forms that only women composed. Yes. Right, they're only you know only yeah. As I mentioned, um, Pātere was definitely one, and I think Waiata Wabata is another one, mm. um, and uh, and other things like Ngeri, for example. Uh, Ngeri is the term we use in Tainui Waka, Pōkeka is the term used in Te Arawa, and uh, and what Ngeri actually refers to is the uh, is a boisterous wind. When we say Ngeri Mai Te Hau, meaning when the wind is really powerful and boisterous, so that's what. So when you when you perform a ngeri, that's what you're supposed to be like. You're supposed mm. to be like a tempestuous wind. Mm. And just on that point, when you sing a pātere, you're supposed to be like the, the rapids on the river. That's a, a pātere is also the way the rapids of very fast moving water across pebbles. Yes. That's what a, a pātere sound is. Yeah, and whereas a ngeri is a, like the boisterous wind. And so we know when you go, ki, 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 ka, 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 wana, ka, wana, wana, you're supposed to be like this wind you know, revving up, you know, <laughs> saying Eddie. And so, and so, of course, that's very masculine, mm. right? It's a very masculine thing. It's not to say that women don't do it, but it's a masculine energy. Mm. And, you know, naturally men have bigger voices and they they, they can belt it out, you know. <laughs> Whereas, the, you know, the feminine voice is more like the party, more like the water on the pebbles of the pebbles on the rock. Yeah. All our music making, traditional music making is like that. Mm. All our traditional music making takes their models from the natural world performance, the way one stands, the way one speaks, the way it's all to do with modelling on the natural world. Just a little bit of quoted around this, waiata wawata, could you give us some examples of hiaha, hiaha te waiata wawata? Waiata wawata, well an example, I have, my, my name is Tiahu Karamu and my family have two waiata wawata that were composed by a woman from Ngāti Toa called Rangi Topiora. She was a, a niece to Te Rauparaha and a very, very powerful person. And um, at some point, so we speculate, she must have fallen in love or had some kind of relationship with our tupuna because she composed two waiata wabata for her, for him, sorry. And these are waiata that our family still sung. Uh, one is called Naku Te Whakarehu Ko Te Ahukaramu, and it's a waiata wabata. I see Te Ahukaramu in a dream, is what that means. Naku Te Whakarehu Ko Te Ahukaramu is... Uh, and, he, and it says in the next line, Ikone māwa kaididi e manu. We are over here lest Manu becomes angered. And Manu is Manu Mea, it's the Ahukaramu's wife. Yeah. And I think the situation is that they've clearly they've clearly had some kind of relationship with each other. But I think what the sense of the Waiata is that she can't have this relationship with Yahukaramu because if they did, the political ramifications would have been significant. 
it'll be significant. And so they were they were constrained. They weren't able to to I think they weren't able to have this relationship. And it must have been quite significant because she composed two Waiata Wawata. The other one being called is called Katiawi Kone Hakingi Huaka Mutiahu Karamu. Now though those who speak to Reo Māori and with a little bit of depth will know that that is actually an X-rated uh, sentence. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but uh, and it's the title of my book of Mōtete that I wrote ages ago now on Waiata of Ngāti Rauko Ngāti Tō. It's called Kāti Aui Kone, but it comes from the Waiata Wabata of Rangitopiora Fotiahu Karamu. I did hear in your corridor though, you mentioned a few composers that, mm. that struck you and your uh, mahi and that. And um, uh, would you like to share a little bit more corridor around those composers that you, you know, personally that you have liked, yeah. and, you know, do rangahau on, and, yeah. and just some classical examples around them. The first one I mentioned, I think it was the first one. Well, of uh, We know at least that she composed Poeta Taku Poe, but she probably composed others as well. And her great um, kind of uh, detractor or competitor, you might say, was Puhi Wahine, the great Wahine Rangatira of Ngāti Tuwharitoa. And uh, the two of them were <laughs> back and forth. Um, Puhi Wahine is much more well-known as a composer. She she composed quite a number of other Waiatu as well. Kaikiki Wairaka, of course, yes. is the famous song, um, which is her song of unrequited love. Kaikiki Wairaka was composed on the fact that she wasn't able to be with the person that she loved, with a man called um, Te Mahutu Te Toho, was her name, was his name, sorry. And um, yeah, she was prevented from marrying him, and she, so she composed Kaikiki Wairaka. Uh, so they, there's those two women. Of course, in, um, you know, there are many, many examples that in mind that I, I should really only keep to my own tradition rather than speaking of the tupuna of other iwi, but... You know, there are the wonderful, you know, Enoko Te Pakaru of Tūranga and uh, Mihiki Te Kapua of Tūhoi, you know, all, uh, all of those people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, those are the classical ones, but there are a group of Waiata that I've always regarded as absolute classics of Motete of the Māori world. I think, I think these are the um, these are the masterworks of the Motete tradition, and they're the, the Waiatas of the Tehuhu family of Tūnāti Tūwhare Tōa. They, uh, there is a group of Waiata um, not just one of the Tehu, about three or four of the Tehu family, all the Ariki family, uh, their waiata. One, one is Komako, um, uh, another is Takutiru uh, Tiru Noa, um, and a couple more. But they are just absolute masterworks of Motetia, and uh, they really speak to the Ariki Tanga of that family, and they really and beautiful. They're, they're full of tragedy. They're full of the, you know, the the um, premature loss of a loved one, one to do with the death of um, Tehu Hedia in an earthquake and the the, the 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 collapse of the side of the mountain upon the pa and the the Ariki was killed, and that was an enormous tragedy, you know, to the people of Taupo and that kind of thing. It was commemorated in Waiata and stuff. Another Waiata was also Takutiru uh, Tiru uh, which is a Waiata that we learned a great deal in Ngāti Raukua because it involved Ngāti Raukua. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that was on the uh, the premature death of Tehuhu Mananui's younger brother, his name was Papakata Nairua, who was killed uh, in musket fire because he didn't know what musket fire was. Mm -hmm. And his older brother did know and told him, do not run forward. Do not run forward to, to the to the ramparts of the pa. Do not run forward. But he wouldn't listen to his older brother, and he climbed it and he got shot. You know, and they brought him back, and it was our people that brought him back to Tehuhu, and they and he composed this waiata. Yeah, that those those waiata are just for me. They just absolutely um, the masterworks. And every iwi has them, by the way. Every iwi has masterworks. Just in my experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm distantly connected to Ngāti Tuparetoa, but I can't claim to be Ngāti Tuparetoa in the in the traditional sense. But you know, I've always uh, I was fortunate that the teachers I had um, knew a great deal about the Tuparetoa tradition. They taught us those Tehuhu Waiata. Mm. They were partly Tuparetoa themselves, and these these were these Tehuhu masterworks that we were taught. And I thought, Right from the word go, I just love them. Oh. Just absolutely love them, yeah. Just taking a uh, te tiro kitoi, we are Ngāti mm. do you have a, a classical favourite there with your own people? Um, the one I know is my tupuna uh, is actually a, what's called a mai mai. Your mai mai is a kind of a ngiri, a kind of uh, pōkika, but it's for the death of someone. Oh. 
It's for uh, my my is a uh, has been translated as death chant, which is not a terrific way of describing it. But it's uh, it's a kind of a Ngiti Pokika kind of composition, and it tells of our Tupuna Wahineti leaving Maunga Tautari to go to Taupo. He had a group from Hauraki had come across to Maunga Tautari and said to Wahineti and his brother Hape, hey, let's go to Taupo. Uh, let's go and for some reason, you see. And Wahineti's um, parents and elders were suspicious of the Hauraki motives. And they arrived, they arrived on the scene and invited them to come. Now, they were related, they were related, but his own family were a little bit suspicious of these people and said to him, do not go. And he uh, famously said to them, far better for me to die on the, in glory in battle than to die of old age at home. That's what he said, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's far better for me to die in glory in, in the fields of battle than to die as an old man at home. And so he left, you know, ignoring the pleas of his family. He left his wahineti and his younger brother, Hapi, and there were others too. There was a whole group of them. And they went to Taupo. As they went down into Taupo and came along the, the um, eastern shoreline of Taupo, the group from Hauraki uh, did a whole lot of, uh, terrible things to the people on the on the eastern shores of, of Taupo. Um, one of the things that had happened is that the Tupare Tor uh, warriors were actually in Hawke's Bay at the time. Oh. They were they're out and there were only a few left in Taupo. They were on the big expeditions into Hawke's Bay at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and so a lot of the women were left behind. And as it transpired, Hauraki was seeking a, a vengeance from Tupare Tor for some, something that had happened, you see. And somehow Wahineti and Hapikituarangi, they all, all caught up in all of this. And they're part Tupare Tor themselves. And they come to the, and they come to this shocking realisation of what was actually happening. Um, and they got all the way down to uh, Tokanu, where Tehehu was. And so Wahineti and Hapi went to their relation, separated out and went to their relation, uh, Tehehu, to say, can you give us some canoes? We want to return to Maungatotari, you see. And... Um, uh, he gave them some canoes mm-hmm. and they went across the lake and pointed their canoe to, to a place called Tohineotu, which is on the western side of Lake Taupo. Mm-hmm. And while they were crossing the lake, Tehuhu came to learn of the, of, the, of the sacrilege that had been performed. And they uh, killed Wahineti. They blamed him for it. And he died through Makutu. And, uh, and he, by the time he arrived at Tohineotu, he was dead. And he got Maku to right across the entire lake, and, that, and he came at the other end. And he was returned, Habeki Tuarangi was returned, you know, came with his brother, and they went back first of all to Oraka Koroko, and then up to Maungatautari, and they were returned back up to the mountain, back to his people. And of course, when they returned, they composed this, this uh, mai mai for him. And it says, Wahineti orungu te rangi tukuiho ki raroda ka he o kōrero. Meaning, lofty Wahineti, come down. You were wrong. You were wrong. You were not challenged by the Whalebone Club. You were not challenged by the Greenstone Club, you know. And I now lament your loss. It's an incredibly tragic thing about the, the guy who was to be the next chief of the iwi. He was you know, the, the promise of the people and that kind of thing. And through his own kind of arrogance, he got caught up in the, these awful events that happened in Taupo and subsequently got, um, you know, he subsequently died, not through battle, not through glory on the fields of, of warfare and so but rather through the, um, you know, he got killed by Makutu because the only people to hear who had with him at them was a couple of old tohunga. There was the only, all, it was a few old men were still there. The, um, all the warriors were out in Hawke's Bay at the time, over in Hedatanga. And um, one last thing is that to, the Ngāti Tupare Tō have always held Wahineti accountable for this, that he always knew that this had happened. And it was always been a contention between Tupare Tō and Roko over many years that the Tupare Tō had always held Wahineti accountable for these terrible things that had happened. But the Roko have always responded by saying he was a young man, he was innocent. Mm. He was actually going to Taupo in pursuit of a woman. Because in the Maimai it says, um, Why did you die? Meaning, and it's all about 
he was actually going to Taipo to pursue a woman. Woman, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's why, yeah. So that that's that's that whole story I think is just magnificent. Exactly. Yeah. It is. It's, it's the great tragedy of it, you know. Mm. And like that's so amazing how our Mortetia hold this like catalogue or a, a library, you know, yeah. of a wealth, a pool of totally. Mapodanga, you know. Totally. History, um whakapapa, Puda mm. all mixed into one day, yeah. you yeah. know. It's just so yeah. fantastic. We and we today we tend to perform them um, I think in a hollow fashion because we tend to perform them just as like a for show kind of yeah, for show we, we tend to say you know um, we often so Poi Atatakupoi for example we often sing as a statement of the mana of Atinokwa, you know but what it actually is is Eleanor Atalato is pissed off at that you know you know what I mean she's angry with Puhi Wahine that's what it actually is about but we tend to get stand up, and all that kind of, and it's it's just kind of a statement about you know, Who we are. you know, puffing our chests out and just going say you know we're this and we're all that and a bag of chips, you know. <laughs> Whereas we we actually get into them. the same thing with Wahine Eti. the um, the the one time where I felt uh, were a marvelous experience I had when we went to Sehepi Tehehu's Tangi, as an Aotearoa, and we did we performed Wahine Eti. Oh, yeah, there. And, you know, he's the descendant of Tehehe, we were the descendants of Wahineti, you know, and, it's, and of course Wahineti is actually very well known in Tuwharetoa and Te Aroa and, and Tainui and stuff. And so, um, yeah, it was, that was a very moving experience because it recalled all of that history. And, and those who know about it, they know the significance of those things. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and that's where I find, that's where I find Mōtete really comes to life. I'm not terribly interested in beautiful singing of Mōtete. I mean, I'd love beautiful singing, but I'm more interested in the, the sense that someone really understands what they're singing about and they really know what is going on here and they really get in touch with the tragedy that's happened or the love that's happened or the, you know, mm. and, and I, uh, today we've got so caught up with just demonstrating ourselves as Māori people instead of really connecting with what our tūpuna actually have to say about something, you know. They're all forms of composed corridor, mm. you know, karakia, ngeri, haka, whatever they might. The, the core of them are all to do with the compositions in the language, the compositions of words, expressions, you know, phrases, and so on in the language, just taking different forms. Um, and so that's why, um, you know, at times certain things can be interchangeable in their mm. forms. So. Um, the way that I was referring to earlier from Tehehe called Kōmako, the start of it, which starts Titaka Kawana, is, uh, is actually a karakia. And that was a, um, a, a thing that our auntie who taught us, it, she said, I'm not going to teach you that because that is a karakia. And she was a staunch ratana and she didn't like, she didn't like uh, karakia Māori, atua Māori. And uh, she, she never, never agreed to, you know, for us to learn any uh, karakia atua Māori or anything like that. And uh, and uh, she was virulently against it, but she was a very very staunch writer. And um, uh, anyway, anyway, so there are lots and lots of waiata are actually karakia as well, or portions of the waiata are karakia and portions are to be sung and so on. So you know, there's lots of examples of that through the oh. world. Yeah. Do you see mōtete as a form of poetry? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, we don't use the word poetry in the Māori language, of course, but it's absolutely a poetic form. Uh, it doesn't. It has its own um, ways of communicating, its own kind of formulas and ways of communicating ideas. I touched on that earlier about the use of uh, the phenomena of the natural world to communicate key ideas. It's a very, very typical thing inside Mōtēetēa. So it's definitely, it's chanted song poetry. That's what it is, it's chanted song poetry. And because every in the country, or because our people were oral, you know, this was one of the prime, not the only, but one of the primary ways by which our people uh, retain knowledge, mm. could could pass knowledge quickly and easily between people, could retain enormous amounts of knowledge. Because if you put it into song form, it becomes easier to to remember, you know, and things like that. Um, and our and our people came up with all sorts of wonderful uh, memory aids and tools, mind tools, mind tools, mind tools to organise their knowledge, to, to make sure it is 
you know, placed in the right, like in a filing system of the mind, right? And keeping it there. And so it's readily accessible and all that kind of thing. You also uh, have to attend to it too. It's like a garden. You can't expect to you know, pull the pull the potatoes out of the garden if you haven't planted any and even dealt with the, you know, haven't dealt with the weeds and stuff. So you know, memory is like that. You've got to continue to go back and cultivate and cultivate and cultivate the soil of your memory. You know, so that's why our old people. My dad grew up. He grew up in a household. Uh, his grandfather was a man called Tukumana the Tanifa of, of Ngāti Whanaunga of Hauraki. That's where my dad grew up there. And uh, he grew up in a household going to bed every night listening to the old man singing his way out all night long. It's My dad says, uh, we always used to hear him, and he used to say pao was the word they used, by the way. He says, I always heard the old man, he would pao all night long. I would go to bed at night and I wake up in the morning, he's still going. Yeah. Mm. Of course, one of the most well-known most often sung more tete in the country is Epato Ho, you know, from, from Ngati Apakura of Waikato. And once that's another example of a way to when I was taught it, and probably the first hundred million times I sang it, I had no consciousness really of what it was about. It was just, oh, that was a waiata, so you sing this waiata, and it was about these people, they went to Taupo or something, or something happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then much later I can realise, actually, what that waiata commemorates when it was composed, was directly following the confiscation of the lands of Waikato. And the reason why those people were moving to Taupo was that they had lost all their land that they had lived on for centuries. And when they were making their migration to the south, they were going to Tehehe again in Taupo. When they were making their way to the south, they ascended Titiropinga Mountain, and word had arrived that their, their elder, Te Wano, who they who was unable to travel with him because he was too old. He, well, he, stayed, he remained behind. They word had arrived that he had passed away. And that's why she composed, Tarangiamo composed E Pātoho, ostensibly as a lament for the death of Te Wano, her Koroa, Te Wano. But also, though, also about the, um, you know, that the, there's a lament for the entire loss of their lives. They lost all of their land. You know, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres of land. It was just overnight taken following the wake up to wars and so on. That's, that's an incredible tragedy. My first period with listening, it was just, oh, yeah, because we were being Māori, you know. We were, but uh, much later I realised, you know, the pain that's in that way about, and not just the death of the one or but the loss of their whole lands, their ancestral, their ancestral whare had been stolen from them and been, you know, removed and stuff like that. So I look now at E Pātoho as you know, one of the great emblematic waiata of that time, of the colonisation of Aotearoa, of how of European colonisation, of how um, you know, life changed, and brutally so, for, for many people, you know, and the loss that they suffered here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in the, you know, we learned E Pātoho because it was all part of our learning the real, it was all part of learning about the Māori world and all that kind of stuff. But later on, as I got deeper into more teete and you came to explore it more, you know, I came to see that these these are actual uh, incredible vessels. More are incredible vessels of the you know the experiences of a people and what they and what they say about those experiences, and also the beautiful ways they articulate themselves mm. about those experiences. You know, mm. about the the loss of um, you know when to hear who. In one of the Tehehu Waiatas, when, when Tehehu Hedeo uh, was killed, he said, Taku kawa noho mātārai, you know, my white breasted shag who stands at the headland in the Taupo, you know, Taku kawa aroarotea, um, my white breasted shag with the long uh, countenance, you might say, the long uh, beak and so on, you know, just the constant use of natural world metaphor to express, you know, their, their love or their sorrow or their. 
you know, their pain or whatever it might be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. You, you were mentioning, of course, colonisation, and, and I know it is um, it was a huge impact on us, but what's your whakaro around the Christianity as well at the time? Because as, as much as, you know, colonisation, Christianity was huge as well. Oh, totally. More te te changed uh, in through, uh, through the impact of Christianity. Um, certainly um, many... Many waiata were put to bed and not performed because they were simply just too hurtful. They, well, they were um, waiata about, um, you know, kaiorora, things like that, you know, cursing songs and stuff like that. They were put to bed um, and not to be performed, not mm. to be sung again. Mm. Um, also, in the waiata that did continue to be composed, some of the lyrics were changed to hide certain meanings to sexually explicit lyrics were changed, all of that kind of thing. That was the impact of Christian culture upon upon these communities. So that that happened a lot. Mm. I mean, one of the a good example once again, Poyata Tokupoi of Ngāti Rokua, you know, uh, in the the appearance, the entry on Poyata Tokupoi that's in Ngātotetia, Ngātas Ngātotetia. The original explanation talks about how uh, it says that Edenora Tarato was disparaged by the people of Ngāti Parewahawaha. And Enanoa Taratoa belonged to Ngāti Pare Wahawaha, right? And uh, what it transpired was that that was a deliberate um, explanation put in there by an uncle of ours called Taita de Tomo to hide the identity of the person that she was really wishing to disparage because he didn't want to continue the conflict between the families and things like that. So that, that was all... Um, you know, that, that was an impact of Christian culture mm. and all of that, yeah. So, and that happened in the 1920s when Ngata went to collect and he went and, you know, he spoke to many different elders. He went to our uncle Taite de Tomo and Taite gave him a lot of information, but a lot of it was um, either changed for those reasons or deliberately fabricated to provoke people to present the right piece of information. There was a method that Ngata himself used a lot. He would he would write provocative things to provoke people yeah. to respond. Well, say, well, if I'm wrong, tell me what the right thing is. And that's how he got a lot of the things that got into Ngamotetia. How and why did Motetia survive when so many much didn't? Oh, yeah, so yes, much didn't. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think one of the key reasons. This is not the only reason, but one of the key reasons was that our um, communities were pressured. Uh, following things like the wake up to the wars that were pressured to make statements to claim to land. So there was the rise of the native land courts in the 1860s through to the 1920s and 30s, then it became the Māori land court. Um, and what you see is this nationwide campaign uh, advanced by the Crown regarding the individualisation of title, meaning that you had to determine the ownership of blocks of land all over the country, the entire country was put through this process, other than Waikato and those other areas of confiscation, right? But everywhere, you know, was put through the Native Land Court. So every iwi hapu community in the country had to go through the Land Court at one point or another, demonstrating their ownership or their relationship to these places, which meant often using mōtetia to present, right, as evidence that this is why we are here, this is why we have a right to this place, here's the mōtetia about this place. So I think that's one of the reasons why um, a lot of iwi history and mōtetia was recorded, um, was for that reason. The downside of that is that if it was mōtetia that, that couldn't be used as evidence, it didn't get recorded, right? Um, and another thing is that it put all of our knowledge, well not all of our knowledge, but enormous amounts of our iwi hapifane knowledge through the lens of a court case. And so it, it transformed the knowledge from being uh, the knowledge of a living people, living life and so on, to now knowledge as evidence only. You know? and, and that's one of the problems with the native land courts. And it's also the problem now with the Waitangi Tribunal process, because we're doing the same thing again. We're using all of our knowledge, rightfully so, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's just, it's ought to be, we need to be mindful that we're using all of our knowledge and uh, as evidence yeah. and so today when I'm going through the process today like so many of us of reconstructing our traditional knowledge mm. we have to rely on evidence a lot and it comes with its own color and atmosphere and shape mm. and uh, and so on but anyway 
that that's one reason why I think uh, more tier tier uh, continued survived, yeah. survived yeah. was because it was it was very useful in those sen- in that sense. Not all more tier tier. I think I think that's one thing. I think a second thing is that um, more tier tier could be could many more tier tier could actually be sung without running into problems with Christianity and stuff like that. So, because it could be adapted or changed or something like that, and so I think um, some some way to which just simply stopped altogether, like kaiororo and things like that. But other way to um, could continue to have a life in spite of a kind of a Christian context in which they were. The, our communities, all of our communities, were Christianized, so they could do that. So, in another reason is that they're just really handy, useful pieces of knowledge. If you want to know something about your people, a little piece of more tete is a very handy little thing to have you know you know just just a simple you know I may not know much about myself but at least I know e patoho or at least I know you know what I mean kaikiki wairaka or whatever or pine pine te kura or whatever you know at least I know that you know I may not know much about who I am but at least I know that you know so another reason too we mustn't overlook the importance of the efforts of apirangata and paid to Hurunui, and uh, and all of the many Komatsu who contributed to Ngamotia Tia throughout the country. Mm, you know, mm. um, there's another you know wonderful story about McGregor's Māori songs. I don't know if you did you come across that. Mm. So McGregor's Māori songs is um, it's funny how life unfolds. McGregor's Māori songs was one of the early uh, Māori language texts that was published in New Zealand, and it's full of Motetia, full of Waiata. It turns out this guy called John McGregor was a uh, soldier on a steamship on the Waikato uh, River when they took Waikato warriors as prisoners and they put them on the ship and they would take them up to Auckland, back up to the prisons in Auckland, Fort Takapuna and things like that during the war and after the war. And he was a soldier and all of these warriors, these tour of, of Waikato and other iwi too, not just Waikato, there were Tauranga iwi, there was Hauraki iwi, there's all sorts, Whakatohe, all sorts of people were involved in the Waikato war. They were put on this uh, ship and taken up to, um, up to Auckland and um, he recorded their waiata. The soldier, McGregor, he sat there and he, he got to know that he could speak Māori and he started recording their songs and that he recorded them down in notebooks and eventually became McGregor's Māori Songs, published in 1868 or something. And that, and that was one of the texts that Ngata used for Ngā Motete, yeah. Mm. What are the issues that we're facing um, with Motete compositions and performances today? Hia hao whakaaro around that, Ekewa. Well, I'm a composer of Motete myself, of yeah. course, and I, I compose the number, have composed the number. I think one of the, the key things that is really... Um, depth of fluency and depth of knowledge, or the lack of it, right? The lack of it. Meaning, we um, to really be an adept Motete composer, in, in, in my view, to be an adept Motete composer, you've really got to know Motete, which means you've really got to have some depth in Mataranga Māori, you, uh, uh, and particularly from your own tradition, Takitsamu or Horoto, or whatever the tradition might be, but to have some depth of understanding and knowledge. And, and more tete, in my, in my view, is not something you don't compose 600 more tete. You know, what it seems to me in the past is that our tupuna have composed uh, more tete, the ones that have endured at least, you know, like maybe six in their lifetime kind of thing. It's not a, it's not a form where you compose. I think you do a lot of impromptu compositions. We actually, there was another kuia in Roko we had, was, her name was Tehaina, and she was a fantastically gifted impromptu composer, and she constantly uh, would invent songs on the thing. Um, one of the things, stories about her was that um, whenever you went to her morai, and they went to the final um, concluding session of a hui, we don't call them poroporoaki in Roko, they're poroporoaki only for the dead, not for the living. So in Roko they call, they call them the whakakapiga, or something like that, the, the ending part. And so when people are uh, le- uh, making their concluding remarks and they're leaving, so one nope leaves and that they leave in a, and this is how they, by the way, this is how they ended hui back in the day in our tupuna's time. You didn't just take off from a hui. That was rude. 
It's really rude. These days, you know, you sneak out the door and whatever. We've all done it. We've got to go, you know. That, that, but back in the day, you all had to go to the concluding session yeah. and you left as an upi. Because you came as an upi, you return as an upi, right? And so um, Tehaina would, um, as each upi would leave the meeting house and go out onto the monayatia, she would uh, sing the mount. She'd impromptu composition and sing as they left. And they went out, out of... Uh, the marae, and they left the marae, and she would continue to sing until you turned and acknowledged her. If you didn't acknowledge her, didn't acknowledge it, she would continue to sing, and it would it would uh, be deemed as a um, you know an X against your name. You know, you had to. By the time you get to the wahoro, you're supposed to turn and acknowledge her, and then she would finish, and that kind of thing. But that was well understood. Everyone knew that, and that was just the custom of our people all over the country. You know, that was that was the way our people were. All, all the time, and that was uh, yeah, Tehaina. She was uh, so, but Tehaina is what she, her waiata that have endured, that have continued. There's only a handful of them, but we know that she was continually composing all the time, you know. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm thinking in terms of composition today, what I think the great challenge is we just, we are all just working in a re- what I think is a reasonably shallow understanding of the Māori world. We don't, all of us, I'm thinking 100%, we do not have the depth of understanding of ourselves that our tūpuna had. You know, I look in the whakapapa books of my my great-grandfather. He's got whakapapa in Ngāti Pūrō, in Ngāti Kahununu, and down in the South Island. We don't belong to those iwi, but he knew them anyway, you know. And similarly, I fully expect to go up to Gisborne. People know, my people, you know, that sense of real understanding and of, and of uh, knowledge, and I think that's one of the uh, one of the great challenges that we've we face is just we're all operating on I think on a reasonably shallow understanding of ourselves, mm-hmm. and the second thing is um, challenges natural language fluency of course, yeah. the ability to articulate ourselves beautifully, and and uh, taking pride with the way we speak mm-hmm. uh, and using our real with great discipline when when it comes to composition I don't mean everyday informal stuff. I mean, when you're composing something, that's really about something very important in life, that what you're wanting to communicate something significant. You've got to take care with that. You've got to think a lot about what you're trying to say. It's not just about pretending to be Māori or something. It's actually, you know, this, this tragedy has happened or I'm deeply in love with this person or this thing happened or that thing happened and I want, I've got something important I wish to say about it. It's really important that one takes time and care and commitment to do that, you know. And, you know, and I just, even though it's small, it's tremendously valuable, you yeah. know. It's far better to be like that than have heaps and heaps and heaps of things that aren't particularly significant or oh, meaningful. Yeah, I think, and when I, when I mean depth, I think people get the wrong understanding about what I mean by depth, mm. you know. that First of all, they think it's heavy yeah. or burdensome. <laughs> That's not what depth means. That means that what, what I mean by it is actually immersing yourself in a particular area um, with, with time and with consciousness and with learning, you know. So, and when I mean depth, I don't mean depth returning to some depth of our tūpuna because that's not possible. It's getting to your own depth inside yourself and getting into your own sense of um, what has happened, you know, what is it that's moved you to compose something. And it's that depth, and ultimately that's the most important depth, is getting to know yourself. That's the most important thing. And the other kind of depth is getting a level of uh, understanding, a deeper level of understanding of what our tūpuna did, how they articulated themselves and how they did say something, right? Mm. So, you know, a meaning of a word, for example. Mm. You know, just don't be happy with translating the word mana as power and that that would be fine. You know, it's so much more, more than that. So what I mean is getting into something with greater level of understanding, greater level of consciousness, but not a greater level of burdensome or problem or difficulty, you know. you know. So I think people have, a, some people have heard, I think I've got the wrong idea about what, is, what deep means. Yeah. Beautiful, Etewa. Um, well, e ai kia koe nei kōrero i kōnei, ko tahi ana ki te pātai e toi ana, uh, kia tāua, tuatahi rana. Uh, nā reira, e te hoa, hea hau whakāro mō ngā mō tētea um, in the new direction of it today? Well, yeah. Ngā mō tētea, wā pōpō. I've always approached mō tētea as an art form. Always about it. And as an art form, for me, what's important is about truth, about 
understanding, getting to the heart or the truth of something, whatever's going on. So if you're a composer composing more tear tear, it's available to you to help you get to the heart of whatever experience you're trying to understand, whatever that positive or negative experience of that. And to commemorate that experience in a to commemorate that experience in a powerful way, to celebrate it, to communicate what you think about that experience and what you think others need to know about it. You know, I think that's that's more important. I think step one is understanding the mortete of our tupuna, right? Learning the mortete of our tupuna, learning how they spoke, learning the real, all of that. That's step one. Step two, which is the more, I think, the more nourishing step, is where you're, where you're coming to a greater sense of knowledge of yourself and using mortete to help you get to progressive revelations of depth within yourself to understand your life, to understand who you are and so on, to get closer and closer and close, closer to the truth and meaning of your existence. That's what Mortete can help you with. It's, and, and it's a beautifully indigenous way of getting there. Other cultures have their ways. This is our way of utilising indigenous knowledge, relationship, kinship relationships with the natural world to progressive revelations of depth and meaning about our existence. Yeah, and more Tete can help you with that in beautiful ways. Tahito, a podcast from Sound Centre for New Zealand Music, Toi Te Arapuoru, presented by me, Crystal Edwards, with today's guest, Dr Te Ahukaramu, Charles Royal. Thanks to the series producers, Tony Huerta and Roger Smith. Sound engineer, Phil Brownlee. Research, Dr Te Ahukaramu, Charles Royal. Production assistants from Ngāhuia Maniapoto, Kelly Mata, Jonathan Engel and Nina L'Esperance. Marketing, Leonie Venter, and executive producer, Diana Marsh. Special thanks to Dr Te Ahukaramu, Charles Royal, and the Manukau Symphony Orchestra for Fitziora, Tainui Waikato for E Paato Hau, and Te Hau Tawhiti Kapahaka for Poia Atu Taku Poi. Thanks to Adrian Wagner and Te Upoko Teika, and thank you for listening. To learn more about this podcast or for more information about the music of Aotearoa New Zealand, go to sounds.org.nz. That's S-O-U-N-Z. Nō reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Toi te ara puoru, Sounds.